Hello, I'm Gary Burgess and welcome to episode 8 of The Emmy Show. Together with the Emmy Association, I hope this series helps shine a light on different aspects of this illness. Thank you yet again for all your feedback, including on the last episode featuring Emma Donahoe, who produced the documentary M.E. and Me. It seems like me, you were impressed by the way Emma has chosen to share her own experience to help others. I also know you are grateful to Emma for joining me on the podcast to talk in some more detail about the whole experience. Also this week, I've been reading the reviews that you may have left on iTunes about this podcast. If you're one of the many who've left a rating or a review, I really cannot thank you enough. And as word spreads about this series, I'm delighted to let you know we're also now on Spotify. World domination continues. Well, not quite, but if you use Spotify, you can now look up the Emmy show there as well. What a week it's been in Parliament in the UK with another debate focused on ME. This series started with my interview with the MP Carol Monaghan. Well, she was back in the spotlight this week, continuing her campaign to raise awareness and understanding of ME and ultimately to force action at political level. In the coming weeks, I'll be devoting a whole episode to that debate. So if you want to hear more from it, don't worry. I've not forgotten about it. It is on its way. But this week, we look at the often secret world of the carer. Those people who give up their time, their jobs, their careers to look after somebody with often severe ME. It was my privilege to speak to Greg Crowhurst, whose wife Linda was diagnosed with ME more than a quarter of a century ago. Of all the people I've spoken to and of all the accounts I've heard and read, it's Greg's description of what life is like for Linda that really, really got to me. You might find parts of this interview a tough listen if you or somebody you know is in a similar situation. But I was also left impressed and inspired by the work Greg is doing to help other carers like him, including a book that he's just written about it as well. Before Linda fell ill, the pair used to write and perform music together. And just before the interview, here's a little taste of a song called Wasteland. It's just that when you went away, you left me with a wasteland for my heart. Greg, welcome to the Emmy show. Oh, thanks, Gary. It's it's wonderful to be here, and thank you so much for asking me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. My reason for speaking to you was because I, I'm trying to speak to as many different people with an interest in ME, from the, the medical side, from the I've got ME side, but uh, an area that I think I, I've not heard much about in, in recent months when I've been looking around for content uh, is hearing from someone who is a carer of somebody with ME. And in your case, Greg, that, that's your wife, Linda. 25 years ago, Linda just, just became ill suddenly with, with severe ME. And then the last 10 years or so, she's been diagnosed with very severe ME, Gary. We'll talk about the day-to-day shortly. Just, It's a long way to think back. Your life together before ME was just another couple working hard, playing hard, having a good life together? 
let's not forget, you know, back when Linda became ill, you know, John Major was prime minister and um, Bill Clinton was a president. You know, that's how long Linda's been ill. And um, we had just got married, Gary. All of a sudden, Linda became very ill with severe MA. And all I can say is this. If severe ME hits you, be prepared, be very prepared, Gary, because most likely you're going to lose family, you're going to lose friends, you're going to lose career, you're going to lose any hope of, um, of a social life. You're, all the things that make life pleasurable, like we were singer-songwriters, Gary, we, we, you know, Linda and I used to play the folk clubs and um, you know, Linda's written 200 songs. We used to sit with our bottle of whiskey and our incense burning and uh, our croissants and uh, cheese and all that sort of stuff in the mornings and our coffee. Nowadays, it's, uh, it's, it's dry toast. For me, Linda can't eat toast. We don't have any butter. Um, she, most she can have is porridge. Um, her songs lie dusty. Her guitar, very sad, Gary. It's just, just here, you know, I play it occasionally, very silently, on the computer in silence. But we live in silence and we live in isolation. And, and it's the thing about our situation is 25 years of the situation, I don't think there's words to describe how isolated it is or how extreme it is for me. But for Linda, imagine if we're right on the very edge of society, Gary, you know, as far as you can get right on the very edge. Then there's a massive ravine, a cavus, and way, way down there is Linda. And I try to reach to her. I try to get some idea what she's going through. But I, I don't know, Gary. I, it shocks me still when she tells me how ill she is. It's something I cannot begin to imagine. However, you paint a very powerful picture. I, I like to think of things in shapes and colours. And to me, yes. it strikes me you had a full colour life and now it's a black and white life. I sent you a link to a, a song Linda wrote called Wasteland. And yeah, and in it she talks, it was a prophetic song because she talks about things have gone from colour to black and white. And, and yeah, it, it's a black and white life on some level, Gary, but... There's, there's levels and levels here to, to survive this situation. It, I, I, I'm inspired by the writings of people like Viktor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz mm -hmm. and the prison camps. Um, and you have to find a meaning in life, you know, and uh, our lives become smaller and smaller and smaller. But funny enough, the smaller it gets, almost the more you notice things. And uh, whereas, I guess, most people's idea of pleasure or having a great time or the absolute peak of what of their day they probably wouldn't think you know just sitting on a bench noticing a ladybird <laughs> or feeding the robin in the garden you know but for us that's that's the huge achievement and, and that is everything and that fills us with, with incredible joy so it's not black and white gary there's a, there's a, there's in fact there's a lot of light here and I've discovered immense joy amidst the suffering, paradoxical at times. How have you managed? You, we've had nobody really signs up to a marriage where you then become a full-time carer for your husband or wife. However, 
it happens for some people, it's happened for you, and it happened so early into your marriage. How how did you cope and how do you continue to cope? I cope because uh, Linda keeps me coping, Gary. <laughs> you know, we were, it's love. I mean, it, you know, and I know you yourself have recently got married. You know, the power of marriage, Gary, that's how I cope. The power of that love and that commitment to each other. It's, I find it a wonderful thing that the love I have for Linda is endless and, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we, we support and cope and help each other cope through this. Um, I think as well, my, my background, you know, I, I'm, tra- I'm qualified as a nurse and I've got done counselling training. I've got qualifications in education. Linda is a qualified counsellor, person-centred counsellor and social worker. So we have the skills to, to understand the process and um, to, to, to not get stuck in game playing and to not get stuck in our small selves, but to be our bigger selves. Having said that, Kerry, it's easier said than done. And uh, it's not easy coping in this situation. Of course, of course. No matter what skills you try and wow me with, I also know you're human being. We, we have good days, we have bad days, we have ugly days. Just, just describe to me if there is such a thing, a typical day for you as a carer or an average day for you as a carer. People have asked me this question and um, I really struggle, Gary, because I just can't find the language to describe it. Um, it's not like any other caring situation I've been in. As a nurse, I've been in a wide range of caring situations and typically you would have um, some kind of treatment plan for the person. You would have some kind of support for medical professionals. You'd be working towards some kind of objective. And in the hostile environment that is myalgic encephalitis, you don't have any of that. The, 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 the professional environment, the medical environment is extremely hostile. Um, it's a huge risk seeing any medical professional because you're likely to just be labelled as having a mental health need. Um, it, it, it's incredible that the medical profession has brought into the psychiatric myth that people as old as, as Linda are just thinking the wrong thoughts. Um, you yourself, Gary, you've been diagnosed with ME. You know, one of the low point, one of the most devastating things that ever happened in my life was, was, was last year, last February. When something called the Joint Commissioning Panel for Mental Health unilaterally declared ME a mental health issue, and they, uh, they're called medically unexplained symptoms. And uh, under the five-year forward plan they, they, the NHS is drawing up, ME is going to be treated as a mental health need. And uh, I've been looking at that plan for people with long-term physical conditions, and part of the plan is the challenge on helpful thoughts and behaviours. So that's all it's on offer for you is is this this regime trying to challenge your own helpful thoughts and behaviours, as if Linda would be this ill because she's thinking the wrong thoughts. It's 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 absurd, Gary. I think absurd is a wonderful way to describe it. I'm I'm struck by the fact that you use the word hostile and the word risk when talking about medical interactions. I'm also struck by the fact that you've spectacularly avoided my question. You 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 are someone <laughs> passionate about raising awareness, but I want to just peel back those layers. And my question was about you and your typical day, if there is such a thing. What are you doing today? Right now, Linda, Linda's just 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 got up. 
typically a day will start with Linda starting to waken up and as she wakens up, she wakens up into agony on every part of her body. She can't open her eyes, her body's paralysed. She will eventually try and work out how to get herself off the bed. I used to help her with that, but I can't anymore because um, I'm part of the problem in many ways, Gary. My presence, my touching her is too much for her to bear. So she has to get herself somehow out of bed. And then if you imagine she gets up, her vision is like, do you remember, there's a film called The Graduate. Yep. Um, and Linda told me once that her vision, there's a film scene in that where Dustin Hoffman is looking through a mask at the beginning of the film, a diver's mask. And that's what her vision's like. It's kind of looking through a mask onto the world. Her cognitive dysfunction is massive. She, she's very hard to take in what's, got, what's happening, to process her thoughts. Her body is screaming with unbearable symptoms. But she's, just on, she's listed some of the symptoms and they go on and on and on and on. Gut pain, nausea, dizziness, eye pain, burning, crawling, itching pain, muscle spasms. So this is this is how she awakens up and this is my days are spent in the presence of that agony and that suffering, Gary. And what I try to do is try not to make I tried to be there with Linda and um I'm getting feeling a bit emotional talking about this. Um I just try to to to, to not hurt her, Gary. And uh, sorry, this is very difficult. Greg, I I'm I'm just grateful for you sharing it because it's 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 the side of Emmy I don't really hear about and oh. and as a carer all your instinct will be to want to support to physically support to give someone a hug and these are the very things that are damaging in in oh, Linda's God, circumstances Gary, Gary uh, the other day she was <laughs> the other day she was in such pain I kissed her head and <laughs> Sorry, Gary. It was like I'd slapped her. What does um, that do to you? And, then, and you try, you try. I mean, you know, I was determined. You know, to, I know why was I going to put up with this, 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 this absolute crap that's going on, Gary. So I was determined to get a service for Linda. So I spent years and years and years fighting for a service for Linda. I got up one day and I said, "I'm going to get Linda a service." And I, and I, I had, a, I had a heavy old laptop. And I took it up and I went to the head of the health service here. And I demanded that something was done. And and then I went to see my MP and I demanded something was done. And my MP spoke to somebody else. And eventually I went with the head of the health service down to London to a biomedical lab where they're doing a biomedical research into ME. And that led to me spending seven years fighting for a service here in this area and getting an agreement for a biomedical service, which all fell apart when the primary care trusts were disbanded. But... To cut a long story short, I I was very successful. I actually managed to have one day here. I had two world-leading consultants sitting in the kitchen, a doctor. I had a whole clinic come and visit us to to offer a service to Linda. That's what I achieved. I had a minister of state phone me at home. You know, I did it. I went to the top and I got a service. That was seven years ago, Gary. What I discovered then is people having a clue. And the harm they did to Linda 
we're we're still getting over it now. Oh, well, I mean, she is a lot worse, you know. So I fought and fought and fought for service, got a service, and the service nearly destroyed her because people do not know, people do not understand how severe it can get. People don't understand. You mustn't touch somebody. You've got to, you, They don't know. How, they don't understand how to approach people this ill. How 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 to how to not do harm, basically, Gary. So we're left, we're in a situation now where you know it's very hard to trust that anybody knows what they're talking about. A lot of what goes on in ME research doesn't seem very relevant to our situation. So what do I do? All I can do is be here and try not to hurt Linda and try to somehow get through the day so we can sit on a bench and, and look at a ladybird or, or feed the birds, give nuts to the birds. And, and that, that is a, we've got through that day and then it all starts again the next day. Do you feel forgotten, left behind? We were in our 30s when Linda got ill. We're now in our 60s. You know, I'm feeling, I'm getting older, Gary. Um, when you get to 60, <laughs> which I can't believe I've done, <laughs> you know, you become aware that, you know, you know, life is, you know, you haven't got all, you know, maybe you haven't got as much time ahead as you've had behind you. So I'm feeling older. Yeah, very forgotten. Very forgotten. I would like to walk away from it all if I could, but I can't. I, I, I hate the thought of another 20 years of this. Um, also, I'm terrified of losing Linda. She's getting worse and worse and worse, Gary. You know, um, I, I'm horrified that she's going to die on me. Um, we've, we've known a lot of people who have died, and all of them have died horribly. I'm terrified. I, I can't give up. I've got to keep going. But um, I do feel very alone. Is there more you could be doing but you suspect you're not doing because you've had your fingers burns in the past? No, I don't think so, Gary. I'm doing what I can do. Um, it's just, it's we're, we've got, we're starting from a very low baseline. The expertise in ME is not there. Somehow we've got to work politically to, first of all, get ME recognised as, as properly as, as, as an illness and open up a biomedical pathway and try and get the training in place, try and get the research happening so people will understand severe ME. And that's what I'm working towards. I'm hoping to go to NICE to try and influence things there. Um, I'm certainly not giving up. I'm, I've got my website, Stonebird. I'm publishing all the time. I'm speaking to you, Gary. You're a um, fighter, aren't you, Greg? I'm real. I really am fighting. I'm really fighting, Gary. I've, I have a fought every day for Linda, and I will keep fighting for Linda. Tell me more about Stonebird. Uh, the website, uh, I'm struck that it's packed. It's not just advice on your website. There seems no. to be a lot of wisdom there as well. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear, Gary. No, I really mean it. I know it's easy for me to say nice things in an interview to an interviewee, <laughs> but I was really struck that I, I was reading the wisdom of somebody who's lived a life. Yeah, yeah. Particularly from Linda, Gary. Um, you know, she's had so many insights into truth and what did it you know what what really matters in life and and that, that that's reflected on stonebird um stonebird came up because right about 2006 i said no way not a moment more am i going to put up with this and uh, I, I i thought i've got to get a website that same year i went down to the gibson inquiry in london that was the last time i was in london tony blair was prime minister 
And I remember sitting outside the, the Parliament in an old white shirt I have and uh, Boris Johnson um, <laughs> standing in front of me. And then I went to the Parliament and I, I with, with all these, t- with a box of tissues, which I call the tissues of lies. And I went into Parliament, representing people severe in me and threw these tissues of lies all over the place. Sadly, the, the, there was a, this parliamentary inquiry called the Gibson Inquiry. Sadly, that didn't go anywhere, Gary. That was something else that we had hopes for, but nothing came out of it. It's just terrible after all these years of fighting that the psychiatric lobby is, is, is stronger than ever. Tell me, um, who is Stonebird for? Is, is that designed for anyone with severe ME? Is it designed for carers? Who, who are you talking to on your website? I feel passionately, Gary, about, especially about young couples who are now in this situation, you know, trying to cope and support each other with severe ME, who maybe haven't got the life experience we've got or the insights we've got. And uh, so it's very much to reach out to people. You know, we're absolutely passionate about um, being in partnership and about sharing what we've learned. We have survived this. We are fighters. You know, we still find joy in each other. We're in love. We've come through this, Gary. We've got a lot to share. And so it's just about trying to, to reach out to people on the edge that nobody else is reaching out to and share those insights and learning and give other people a platform to, to share what they're going through too. What sort of advice... I, I accept that people can look at the website, but you know, here we are on this podcast now. If someone's listening to this, recognises the situation you're describing if you were able to listen to this 25 years ago and 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 were hoping for some good advice what advice can you now offer to other people i had a dream once um, and i i saw saw the illness is massive massive thing in my path i I saw but i realized we are bigger than the illness you're always bigger than the illness and uh, you've got to be strong You've got to pick yourself up day after day and you've got to carry on. If you're a carer, you've got to realise how much you can make a difference in someone's life, even if it's on a tiny, tiny scale. We've developed something called the moment approach. And the only way we can think of to cope with in a situation like this is to take it moment by moment. And ME and severe ME, they fluctuate Sometimes things are really bad, sometimes they're not so bad. So there's times when you can, there's times when you can't, and there's times when you might do something. And the skill is being able to be with someone and work with them on that level. Maybe your presence is too much in one moment, but maybe you can come back in another moment. Maybe the person is screaming at you, and sometimes that scream, you've never heard a scream with agony like it, to just go away. Try not to take it personally. Try to understand. You know, it's it's so important to try and understand what you as much as you can about the, the biomedical issues that, that are going on. There's over nine thousand published papers. There's a lot of information on what could be going wrong in the person's bodies. Believe the person, even though you can't make sense of it. Believe the person and what they're saying and respond accordingly. And that's what goes back to being in the moment. Actually, I suspect if wider society took the moment approach, 
a lot of people would be a lot better off. It's something I'm trying to do. I, I'm one of those list builders, task makers, worry about tomorrow. And the last year has been all about peeling back those layers and remembering, right. no, it's not about tomorrow. It's not even about the next hour. It's about how are things right now? And if things are good, exactly. enjoy it. And if they're not, they're not. But don't not, worry about it. People think, oh, it's bad. I've got any. But you know, many people don't have a clue how bad it can get. And, you know, be very, very careful. Literally, you know, take it moment by moment and be aware of what you can do and what you can't do. And don't ever push it. Greg, as a carer over the past 25 years, what's your lowest low been like? And, and how did you get through the other side of that? Oh, there's been a lot of low points. When you're a carer, you know, it's um, you lose it. You lose a lot. You, you know, I don't think carers are widely held in high regard in society. Um, for the last 25 years, you know, I've been caring full time. Society pays me about 37 p an hour for what I do. <laughs> a low point was um, one time in the street. I was attacked for being a waste of space and for not having a clue what real work is. Maybe they just thought, you know, I was just having a great time here. A low point was fighting for seven years and then nothing coming of it. A low point, like I said, was kissing Linda's head, just soft as a whisper. And um, it felt to her like I was smacking around the head. You just got to pick yourself. I cycle, Gary. I, I, that, that's a lifeline to me. I have my music. You have to express yourself. I, I have an electric guitar. I go freak out. I go crazy <laughs> on the computer. You know, I can just play all the stuff in silence. So I, I let myself really rock out on the computer, write songs, express it in music. To me, it is. To me, it's absolute survival. Yes. Yeah. What's the last really lovely thing? And it might be the ladybird who is becoming rather famous in this interview. Uh, what's, <laughs> the, what's the last really lovely thing that you and Linda did together? We have a little dog, a little corgi dog called Cammy the Corgi. And the last lovely thing we did together was just last night. We sat together on the city. I was able to put my arm around Linda and the little dog jumped on our knees. <laughs> and um, this little dog, Gary, he is so intuitive. You know, he knows that Linda's, Linda's paralysed all the time. It's just very, it's just whether she's more paralysed or less paralysed. But when she can't move, he will put his nose under her arm and push it up and try and get her moving. Um, but he jumped on the settee last night and uh, he, he licked her on the face and he gave us both a big grin. And we just sat there. And uh, it was wonderful. That's, when, when, you get a, when you arrive at a moment like that, that, that's everything. It's the smallest moments that can have the biggest impact. And I think it's what you said at the start of this interview about recalibrating your life and, and just appreciating the now and appreciating the simplicity and the beauty of life. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of beauty in life, Gary. Um, the joy I know in my heart, the moments of connection are exquisite. And I imagine not everybody gets to know joy on this level. You know, it's horrendous, it's horrific, but it, if you stay with each other, if you see each other, if you, if you, you will find a way through and it will bring you extraordinarily close together. That's a place that not many people go to. What's next for you, 
you know, there's you two together, but there's also, I imagine, your endless appetite to bang the drum and be heard. What's next for you, Greg? Well, I've got a new book (laughs) I've just written. I wanted to write a book. If if I die tomorrow, I wanted to write something that Linda could give to a carer that would, you know, all the things that I would like somebody to know if they're going to come in and try and help Linda. So I've written a little tiny pocket book for carers. So that's coming out soon. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, praying I can get to nice because it's so important I, I, I... that I go and, I, and represent people with severe ME. As you say, Gary, the voice of people with severe ME is not often heard, and particularly the voice of carers. So I want to try and, 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 and do that. I just want to spend more and more time not doing things like that, just, just being with Linda. She's deteriorating, Gary. She's getting worse and worse. And uh, after nice. I don't intend doing so much. I just just want to spend as much time as possible with Linda, cutting down as much as possible on on any stress. That's the key, really. Cut down stress. Just be with each other. That's all that matters, really. At the end of the day, Gary, that's 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 the most important thing in my life. Greg, before we say goodbye, uh, I think you should do the most ridiculous, shameless plug for your book. If somebody wants to get hold of this pocket book when it's out, how how might they go about it? It's an incredible book, you know. I'm, I'm amazed by it, Gary. I haven't just given information. I've, I've given a whole lot of self-reflected exercise to try and this, this, these skills of self-reflection and, and um, being knowing yourself. You've really got to know yourself to cope with this. I've tried to build in those exercises, but not, I haven't just built them. And I've also done the exercises as well. So it's almost like I'm sitting down with somebody and doing the exercises together, getting people to think through how can you be with somebody in, in, in agony all the time and, and, and um, help them to the best of your ability. It's, it stunned me, the book. It's pretty good, Gary. <laughs> so just keep watching Stonebird, keep watching Facebook. I'll be putting, I'll be, I'll be launching a website soon. Greg, I'm really grateful for your time today. I know your time is valuable and, and I, I appreciate that. And, and please, when the, the time is right, uh, pass on my best to, to Linda as well. And, and thank you for joining me on the ME show today. Oh, thank you, Gary. Thank you. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Not many people ask, not many people for 25 years. Well, nobody's asked me the questions you've asked, Gary. It's been, it's been a huge privilege to talk to you. Thank you. What a man Greg Crowhurst is. Quietly spoken, but clearly a very special human being, oozing with determination to do all he can for both his wife Linda and for others caring for those with ME. Greg, thank you again. If you want to know more about Greg's website, Stonebird, about his new book for carers, or any of the other things that we've spoken about, you'll find details in the show notes that accompany this podcast at meassociation.org.uk slash podcast. That's meassociation.org.uk slash podcast. That's also the best link to share with anybody you think may like to hear this series. Next time, how do you build a network of friends and people who can support each other when you're isolated by ME? I speak to one woman who set up a group online which has developed into a friendship group which now meets for a cuppa every few weeks. Such a simple idea, but one I hope, like me, you'll be inspired to hear about. Until then, 
I'm Gary Burgess. This is the ME Show. And as always, thank you so much for listening.